0: gentlemen to grizzly bear blues live i am your host joe Molinax. i am also the site manager of sb nations com. thank you so much for listening however you're tuning into the podcast whether it's spotify stitcher apple or google podcasts iheart podcast all sorts of different ways you can get in touch with gbb live and we have a big episode for you today ways to get in touch with the show you can follow me on twitter at joe mullinax you can follow the show itself on twitter at gbb live you can follow my co-host parker fleming who will join us later on in the second and final segment of the show this week over at paca underscore flocka and of course you can follow the wonderful work of all of us over at grizzlybearblues.com at sbn grizzlies I want to give a quick shout out before we get into the show officially thank you so much it was a banner year for grizzly bear blues our first year over 2 million views when i took over the blog we didn't really get a million views at the site so we've grown by leaps and bounds over the past four years thank you so much the podcast network has taken off as well it was a great 2019 and it means a lot so thank you for making us a part of your memphis Grizzlies experience. Our guests today in the second segment, later on in the podcast, so you'll have to stick around, uh, D'Anthony Melton of the Memphis Grizzlies. Very excited to have DeAnthony on the show. Obviously a key component of not just the Grizzlies' most re- or recent win over the Minnesota Timberwolves, but also a pretty important player in the grand scheme of things, potentially. Uh, he was the key part of that trade with the Phoenix Suns over the summer, or this past summer. He has shown the capacity to earn a larger role in the rotation. So I'm going to have a really cool opportunity with Parker to speak with him for a little bit about how he's adapting to Memphis, how he looks at the uh, his role in the organization, being compared to Tony Allen, lots of cool stuff. So well, I, I look forward to talking to DeAnthony about all that. But in the first segment, I'm also excited to speak with Somebody who, much like you, if you're listening to this podcast, chances are you're a Grizzlies fan or someone who follows the team. And if you're a Grizzlies fan at this point, you're probably a pretty big Brandon Clark fan. And this guy did a remarkable job recently writing about Brandon Clark and his uber-efficient rookie campaigns. We're going to talk to him about that and much more. Uh, This gentleman is a deputy editor and a senior NBA writer who is with Basketball Insiders. He has covered the league and the Cleveland Cavaliers in particular. He's based out of Ohio the past five seasons. He's appeared in Bleacher Report, on Fox Sports, and on Hoop Hy- Hoops Hype. Excuse me. He's been everywhere. We're excited to have him here with us for about 30 minutes or so. His name is Spencer Davies. Spencer, how are you doing, sir? I'm doing great, Joe, and thanks for the awesome introduction. I've never, I, I wanted to pat myself on the back
1: after I hear that.
0: You're pretty impressive. You you, you know what? <laughs> yes. And I do think, you know, being humble is important. Humility is important. But sometimes if you're not going to pat your own back, who else is going to? You know, you got to toot your own horn at some point.
1: Let's hope that toot that horn to a, a, a good job here in the future. That's great. There you but go. I appreciate that. That,
0: that. That's <laughs> nice. Well, you, you keep grinding. I'm sure uh, big things are coming your way. And a great example of that, at least for us with uh, Memphis Ties, is your look at Brandon Clark. OK, uh, now you had an opportunity. You spoke to Brandon himself you talked to talk to Jaron Jackson Jr., Taylor Jenkins, about this guy. He's known for his defense, theoretically, uh, and in reality, because of the way that he can switch uh, play on the perimeter as well as at the rim. He's probably not the best backup center we're seeing uh, more and more as the season grinds along, but he is somebody who is extremely efficient offensively, who as a perimeter player, a stretch four type in air quotes, because he's not the most prolific three-point shooter although he's shown he can knock those shots down he's having a pretty impressive rookie campaign and if you look at a lot of the advanced numbers in particular you can argue that Brandon Clark is having a more efficient definitely more efficient but perhaps even a more effective rookie season than the guy who gets all the headlines John Morant
1: yeah, you're not wrong. And I think that's why it's kind of a cool dynamic. You have the one guy who's grabbing the headlines, doing the, the poster donks and and you know just going out there and being who we thought he was going to be. And then you have Brandon Clark, who's coming off the bench, admittedly, but also making an impact when he's on the floor in a multitude of ways. So I, I think it's a really cool dynamic between those two. And then you just smack jaw. Uh, I mean, uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. right there in the middle, and it's just like, wow, we have amazing core going forward.
0: Well, you mentioned in your article, and I'm quoting from the piece now. Uh, Clark's M.O. is admittedly different. Uh, he is somebody who is obviously a role player, uh, much lower usage rate, complementary role. The six foot eight Gonzaga product prefers to take a more conservative approach. So he. Brandon goes on to say that when, he, when you say conservative, it's really kind of picking and choosing his spots. He's really gotten good at the floater in the lane because obviously he at six foot eight. He's not the biggest body in the paint that he's going to see on a nightly basis in the National Basketball Association. But he really does a good job using his body well. He understands positioning. He is someone who at his age has more experience playing basketball than a lot of these guys that he's playing next to, especially Jaw and Jaron. And he's utilizing that experience, his advantage. And I do think it's important to point out that this is a guy who next to Zion Williamson, you could very easily argue was the best college basketball player in the country going into the 2019 NBA draft. I had him at number four on my draft board. I had Zion one. I had John Morant two. I had RJ Barrett three and I had Brandon Clark four. And I look pretty smart for that at this point because Clark's playing to that level of, of potential, and a lot of it is because he plays within himself.
1: Yes, yes. He's not somebody who's going to go out there and, and force shots. He's not going to be somebody who really tries to, you know, quote-unquote take over a game. He's somebody that goes out there, and when he knows he can make a shot, he's going to take that shot, okay? He's going to impact the game in different ways such as transition. OK, we know how how exciting he could be in transition, uh, finishing uh, those those fast break opportunities with a dunk or so, um, you know, he's a solid passer. Defensively, he still has to, to find uh, his spots a little bit better still. But, you know, with the length and uh, his ability to block shots, that's going to come along uh, really well here. Um, it's not even just the floater, too. Like if he has a, a look that he thinks he can make, he's going to take it. But if there's a a look that maybe might not have a chance to to go in or it's seen as an inefficient shot, he's not going to take it. And I think that IQ, as you mentioned, being in college for four or five years, I think that's where he was ready the most for the NBA. And a lot of teams, for some reason, kind of balk at taking a senior or a fifth-year senior uh, because of their age. But, I mean, he's still young, okay? He's somebody who can fit seamlessly into a system and right away make an impact. Even if it's not in the most amount of minutes, we've already talked about that too uh, in this article, uh, him and I about his playing time. And we know it's been only hovering around 20 minutes. I think he's played most 25 or 26 on the floor. Uh, but in that time, he makes those minutes count. And I think that's where he comes the furthest here uh, in his rookie season.
0: Chatting with, uh, of basketball insiders, excuse me, chatting with Spencer Davies. Make sure you're following him on Twitter. If you don't already do so at spin Davies. And I am curious, where does that come from? The, the spin there? Why why are you spin on Twitter?
1: All right. So uh long story short, it was my nickname as a kid because I always used to play with uh, one of the best toys of the nineties uh, for any of you younger people that don't know. Uh, and I hate saying that because I'm only 27, but I feel like you might have a younger audience. I don't know. Uh, but, uh, there was a sit and spin. I don't know if you remember those. I do. Uh, yep. So that started there. The nickname went away for a long time. It got brought back in college, uh, just by happening. And then I made it onto, uh, the radio. And when Ooh. I had the radio, I had to come up with uh, a brand of some sort. So went with spin. And ever since I've just kind of made it forward. Cause I mean, there's, there's quite a few people named Spencer nowadays. So uh, a way to differentiate myself is just go with spin.
0: Everybody has a brand these days. Everybody has a brand. Oh, old oh, oh Spencer's the same way, but make sure you're following him on Twitter at spin Davies, D A V I E S. He's a great follow, does great work. And obviously we're talking about Brandon Clark here at the moment. How important is it to Brandon's success? And you mentioned it a little bit in the article, but just elaborate if you would, The fact that he hasn't been asked to be a a 30-minute-a-game starter because Jonas Valanciunas, a lot of folks, myself included, thought that the re-signing of Valanciunas was about Jaron Jackson Jr., that Jaron wasn't ready to be a true five yet. He didn't have the physicality, the size. He's not that type of rebounder. And the Grizzlies roster is not necessarily built at this stage to have Jaron as the five full-time because you've got to rebound the basketball at some point, and that's Valanciunas' strength. It's certainly not Jaron's. So Tunis and Jaron start, Brandon comes off the bench. I believe he averages a little more than 20 minutes a game. However, Brandon Clark's numbers, as you outline in your piece, and again, it's Brandon Clark playing to strength, seeing results. Uh, make sure you're checking it out on Basketball Insiders if you haven't already done so. Uh, he talks about playing within himself a lot. Do you think it's important that he has been able to be a reserve throughout his NBA career so far? And that kind of limits expectations of him as well, maybe both from himself internally and then also from the organization. They're not asking him to do anything that is outside of his comfort zone right now.
1: Well, they're trying to keep him fresh. And I believe that they're trying to do the, the same with uh, John Moran. At least early in the season, I was noticing that they were not were kind of capping his minutes a little bit too. Uh, I know that they want to keep those rookies Make sure that they're 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 healthy going forward. Make sure that they're staying fresh and ready to go. Uh, you know, especially with Clark. Clark is he he like constantly reiterated to me that when he's on the floor, he makes those minutes count. He has a high high motor. So when he's out there, he is active, maybe more active than anybody else on the team. And that's not a you know disservice to anybody else. It's just the way that Brandon Clark is. When he's out there, you can see how much he's he's leaping he's trying to get those rebounds he's uh you know doing those floaters playing defense he is running fast out there like he is like at 110 while other guys might be at 95 or 100 uh so he kind of agrees i i asked him point blank i was like uh you know is is the way that they're playing you right now the best way to keep you fresh especially you know he's coming off of an injury um out of college of sport of course um so he agreed to said that, you know, it's not smart to throw a bunch of minutes on me right away. Um, especially when I mean we're about at the, you know, third mark, maybe two fifths mark of the season right now. And I talked to him uh before the new year, but he agreed, especially out of the gate, that you know, the way that they're they're utilizing me is good because they need to make sure that he's healthy and that he's not going to suffer any setbacks. I do think it's interesting that sometimes they'll play him like 24, 25 minutes. And then the next two, maybe he will get 15 and then 13 or something like that. I know it hasn't been that low in a while, but um, it probably all depends on matchups as well. But I I think that they're utilizing him the right way as of now. Now those minutes are probably going to gradually increase. I don't know if it's going to be this season or next, uh, but if he continues to make those minutes count, maybe that's just the proper way to to do it.
0: As expectations grow for Brandon, obviously they're going to be growing for the Grizzlies as well. Uh, as we record this podcast on a Wednesday afternoon, the Grizzlies are currently ninth in the Western conference. They have a game with the team that's in eighth in front of them, the San Antonio Spurs on Friday. The Spurs are a half game in front of the Memphis Grizzlies. So it stands to reason that by the time the game against the Spurs on Friday night has concluded, the Memphis Grizzlies could be in the playoffs staring down a matchup with the mighty Los Angeles Lakers, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and company. Um, I wrote for the blog Uh, a piece that I probably didn't gain fans for called falling hard and fast in Memphis. And whether it's John Morant, and I don't know if you saw this or not, Spencer, there was a debate among Grizzlies fans, whether or not John Morant right now is better than peak Mike Conley, like better than Mike Conley ever was as a Memphis Grizzly, which is completely and totally insane. But there's a lot of folks that argued that that was true. And again, it wasn't John Morant, the rookie, is better than Mike Conley, the rookie. That's completely true. John Morant as a rookie is better than Mike Conley was as a rookie. It wasn't that John Morant has a higher ceiling than Mike Conley and could be better than Mike in the next year or two. That would be something you could argue as well. It was John Morant at this moment is better than Mike Conley ever was. Memphis falls hard and they fall fast. And I worry that the fact that the eight seed in the Western Conference is going to be so bad, uh, 36 wins probably gets you that seed. And that's realistic for Memphis. But I worry that people are going to put the burden of expectations on this young team far too soon before they should. Now, maybe I'm, I'm being too much of a worrier. Maybe I'm overthinking it. But I'm curious with your outside perspective on the outside looking in at the Grizzlies, I don't think the organization is going to change how they handle this rebuild. I think they're going to trade Jay Crowder if they need to. Solomon Hill, who's revitalized himself a little bit as an NBA role player. I think they'll move him if the opportunity presents itself. Obviously, Andre Iguodala is as good as gone here in the next month or so. But I'm curious, when you look at this Grizzlies team, whose schedule is going to get a lot tougher as the season goes on, there's a piece by Justin Lewis up at Grizzly Bear Blues right now that talks about just that. As the season gets tougher for Memphis, do you think it's fair of fans to raise the expectations to the point that they're disappointed if Memphis doesn't make the playoffs? Because to me, that's unfair. And that's what I worry about, the burden of expectation weighing down what has been, by all accounts, a successful season so far for the Grizzlies.
1: I would like to take a devil's advocate side, but I completely agree with you. You don't want to put the cart before the horse, okay? We know what the expectations were coming in. And hopefully it wasn't uh, you know, a playoff run. Obviously, any team wants to be in the postseason, and they're going to tell you so. Um, I don't think that expecting a team of you know, 19, 20, 21-year-olds, whatever it is, to make the postseason is fair on them just because they're still developing. No matter what kind of highlights they're making, the kind of attention they're drawing, you can't put that on them. Uh they obviously want to do it. They want to be the ones to prove everybody wrong and whoever in the season had them at, you know, 13th, 14th in the Western Conference, whatever it was, they would love to to be
0: the ones to, you know, stick it to those those people. And that makes sense because they're the ones competing on a night in night out basis. They're the ones on the floor. The ones off the floor that aren't coaches or players, the, the front office staff, who, again, I don't think they're doing this. Everything they've done suggests they're not thinking this way, but especially the fan base. I worry about the fan base looking at this group and saying, oh, they're further ahead than they should be. They should go ahead and they should make the playoffs. That should be their new goal. And Jay Crowder is important to that. And Solomon Hill is important to that. I worry that as the trade deadline approaches, the expectations will rise and they'll prioritize making the playoffs this year ahead of the future, which is where their eyes should still be.
1: No. Yeah, for sure. I I think you can do both. If that is the case, I think there's a way that you can do both. If that is the case, but we always, we also have to see where they're at a month from now, you know, a month from now is the, the trade deadline. So are they after the the rigorous schedule that you just mentioned? They go through. Are they still in the same position? Are they five or six games out instead of one? Or are they in the eighth seed? Like I think that's also dependent on it. But I do think that they're still going to keep you know the long term picture in mind. I don't think that anybody in the front office or on the coaching staff is going to change what they're doing. They're going to go about it the same way um and maybe the fan base will be disappointed from it if that happens and you don't want to start talking in the future and saying oh you know this is going to happen they're not going to make it but they had a good start like i think that you need to just kind of take a look at the big picture more than than focus on what's going to happen like a month from now I, I and also enjoy it enjoy the present right now they're playing fun basketball i think it's they've won uh what was it nine out of 13 or something like that? I don't know. I'm, I'm not completely positive. Nine out of
0: 15, I believe is the number. Yeah. I think they're yeah, nine and six.
1: Yeah. Enjoy the now enjoy the now. I mean, you're not, you don't think they're going to win a championship, right? Like, I mean, not, there's only one team that can win a championship in the, in the league. So when you have young guns like this, doing what they're doing and, and playing cohesively as a team and and they're enjoying it, you should enjoy it too. Don't, don't get sucked into this you know, whole championship or bust, playoff or bust mentality. That's what I try to tell everybody here around in Cleveland. Obviously, you have a little bit more to look forward to at the moment than Cleveland does, but I try to keep that in perspective.
0: Perspective's important, and maybe I'm just a big worry wart. That's very possible, Spencer. I've been told I'm very negative, and I need to keep my negativity <laughs> away, but I really don't see it as being negative. I love what they're doing. I don't want them to rush it. These things take time. I don't want them to go off the course, and I don't want Grizzlies fans to raise the call for going off course. But here's, here's the I'm... thing. Maybe, maybe if it happens organically,
1: you should be less negative. If it happens by force, then yes, you should have a little bit of, you know, timid, you know, like, I don't I don't know. But just keep the big picture in mind. That's all I'm saying.
0: Big picture is extremely important. We're chatting with Spencer Davies. Make sure you're following him on – or excuse me, at spin – davies spencer does a great job covering the nba for basketball insiders he's written all over the place hoops hype fox sports make sure you're checking him out he has a great article on brandon clark uh i i do want to look at a couple other players though because as we talk about a team that's outperforming expectations obviously it goes beyond brandon um i want to focus on two wings in particular uh the first one being dylan brooks who Uh, I don't know if you heard this or not. He compared himself, John Morant and Jaron Jackson Jr. to Kevin Garnett and Ray Allen and Paul Pierce or Chris Bosh and LeBron James and (laughs) Dwayne Wade. I did not hear this. He he made that statement after the Minnesota win. He has a very high vision of himself. Uh, Obviously, he scored 28 points. He scored 85 total points against the Timberwolves across three games to help Memphis sweep minnesota so maybe he should and again when you're an elite athlete you have to have some level of obnoxious confidence in yourself to get to that stage because there's so many other people that tried to be you you know what i mean and i i i get his mentality to an extent but dylan brooks is someone who's a bit of a uh a a polarizing figure among Grizzlies fans because on one hand he can score the basketball in a lot of different ways. On the other hand, he's almost the antithesis of a lot of what Taylor Jenkins is trying to do with ball movement. One of the things that the Memphis Grizzlies are elite at in the NBA right now is their assists that they get. They do a remarkable job. I think they're in the top five in terms of assists per game as a team. That's not Dylan Brooks's game against Minnesota. He had zero assists, zero, none. He doesn't swing the ball. He's looking for his own bucket but you need that at times. And I do think there's going to be a market for Dylan Brooks going into restricted free agency. What's your interpretation of what Dylan Brooks is capable of, not just for the Grizzlies, but, you know, potentially for a contender because my perfect role for Dylan Brooks is as a sixth man role player, getting 20 ish minutes a night off the bench for a contending team. I think that's realistic for him. However, after being a starter in Memphis, as much as he's been, I don't know if he's going to be willing to take the step back to be a reserve player. At first, I thought he might be able to, but especially after hearing quotes, I'm guessing he's saying he's Ray Allen, right? <laughs> so if he's Ray Allen or if that's his perception of himself or if he thinks that he's Chris Bosh or LeBron James I don't even, or Dwayne Wade, whoever he would be in that comp, uh, I, my concern is he's going to outprice himself because in Memphis at least, his ideal role may be below what he sees himself as. Now, maybe if he goes to the Lakers or if he goes to the Clippers or some other contender who maybe has more cap space than those teams will and he signs with them, maybe he'll be more willing to go into that six-man mentality, but that's probably not something he'd be interested in in Memphis, and that makes me nervous for his future with the Grizzlies.
1: Yeah, I mean, that is talking pretty tough. I mean, you're in your third year um, (laughs) in bringing up those kinds of comparisons uh you know averaging 21 over the last 5 shooting 46% from deep i mean he's obviously been on fire he seems to be a very streaky type of player yeah uh the the way that i see him is almost it's kind of funny that you mentioned the assist and stuff like that because uh here in cleveland we have something similar going on with colin sexton who can put the ball in the bucket as good as anybody right now um but he's not somebody who is apt to passing um He's a little bit younger than Dylan Brooks, like by two years, but um that that's a really interesting little uh little comp there or like little, you know, uh an analogy, I guess I could say. Um yeah, six man does seem to fit him just because of the, the the way he plays. At least I noticed here in Cleveland, uh his shot selection was not the greatest, especially down the stretch uh in that game that that was, you know, proved a little bit costly. Um but you know what? I think that in the scheme of thing, in the grand scheme of things, that he could be a starter there. Uh, I know that there's other players kind of pushing for that, you know, starting type of role. But it, it could be a thing like where he does start, but plays more with the twos. You know, there's you can always do that. There's different ways to go about rotations and still get guys their minutes. And I don't think that that's a pressing issue at the moment, just because, I mean, they've won four out of five, nine out of 15, whatever it was you said. Um, and he's on that hot streak right now. Maybe he's in the rhythm now. Maybe he's just in a rhythm, and you need somebody to put the ball in the basket, especially when the, uh, somebody else on the team can't at 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 the time. Um, obviously, you know, Jock ja, ja can do it. Jaron Jackson's turned into Steph Curry. Uh, <laughs> you know, but uh, having that tertiary scorer, or tertiary, uh, you know, hopefully a playmaker. Then the possibilities are endless. I don't know. I, I, I still think it's a little early on Dylan Brooks just because he's he's in his third year, but with his playing style, maybe he can be a part of that core going forward.
0: We're finishing up here with Spencer Davies. Follow him on Twitter at Spin Davies. If you don't already do so, he does a great job covering the Cleveland Cavaliers in particular, but the NBA at large. For Basketball Insiders, he has a great piece about Brandon Clark up over at Basketball Insiders. We'll get you out of here on this. Dylan Brooks is a restricted free agent. There's another wing on the Grizzlies who's going to be our guest in the next segment, the Anthony Melton, who's also going to be a restricted free agent. D'Anthony Melton brings a lot of uh, Brevin Knight, who I believe you guys are familiar with. I think Brevin Knight played for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, I grew up watching Brevin Knight. See, there you go. See, (laughs) I remember things. Um, He's the color commentator for the Grizzlies. He's the play-by-play guy. Uh, Or excuse me, he's the analyst. So Brevin Knight calls D'Anthony Melton Mr. Do-Something. Because when he comes in the game, he does something. And he means it in a positive way. You could argue that Melton is easily the best perimeter defender on the Grizzlies team that struggles to defend uh, more often than not. Um, He's able to create off the dribble. He's able to facilitate offense both on and off the ball. I think he's better at it off ball as a wing than he is as a point guard, and I think a lot of folks in Grizzlies media and the Grizzlies fandom would agree with that assessment. But Melton does so many things for this Grizzlies team. He's an energy guy. It's almost like he's a Tony Allen 2.0 in a lot of ways. But he's going to be a restricted free agent too, so that led me to our Grizzly Bear Blues live question of the day, and it took a look at you know Dylan Brooks and De'Anthony Melton and whether or not both of those guys will stick around in Memphis long term. Uh, the question was which Grizzlies wing is most likely to stick in Memphis beyond this season. I gave the options of Dylan Brooks, De'Anthony Melton, both, or neither. Thanks to the about 190 folks that voted, uh, both was the winner at 47%. Anthony Melton was second. Dylan Brooks was third. So that's kind of surprising. I think that, or I hope, I hope that the correct answer is both because I think that you can have both of them for less than $20 million a year. I think Melton will probably make something in the 7 to $8 million range. Brooks will probably make something in the $10 to $12 million range. And between those two guys, you're pretty set at the wing spot for the next few years, especially if they're both reserves. However... Um, if somebody comes along and offers Dylan Brooks a three-year, $39 million contract, I mean, I don't think that's crazy to say given how good of an offensive player he's been. Maybe Dylan Brooks walks. I do think Melton's the most likely to stay because they trade for, traded for him. This front office traded for him. I think that he's going to be cheaper than Brooks, and I think that he brings a layer to the Grizzlies that they desperately need uh, beyond just scoring what Brooks provides. I see a window for Melton being wide open, whereas it's only partially open for Dylan Brooks, but I do think there's a possibility of both of them coming back. Uh, so this is kind of a two-parter to get you out of here. First off, what's your take on De'Anthony Melton? I love the guy, and it's not just because he agreed to come on GBB Live. I think he is a valuable piece of this team moving forward. Uh One of our our former writers at GBB, he now has his Patreon page, Matt Hardlicka, said, is the Anthony Melton part of the new core four with Clark, Jackson, Morant, and Melton being the fourth, not Brooks? And I think that's an interesting argument to make. Um... But Dylan Brooks, again, you need offense. You need to score at some point, and, and Brooks has provided that, although his role may be in question. So what's your take on DeAnthony Melton? Am I too high on him? And do you think there's a real possibility that one of them, if not both of them, are gone from Memphis? Or do you see both or one certainly being retained by the Grizzlies?
1: I, I, I think I would see both, but I could see the situation where Dylan Brooks gets a ridiculous offer sheet from somebody who's desperate for scoring. Uh, with De'Anthony Melton, there's something that John Beeline says a lot that I think applies to his game. It's make the next right play, and I see a lot of that out of De'Anthony. Um, his his just basketball acumen and IQ to to just play within the team system is is remarkable. Uh, I think that he's somebody who doesn't take dumb shots. He's gonna fill the stat sheet. He's gonna get you boards. He's gonna dish it out. He's gonna make the hockey assist a lot. Uh, and defensively, like you said, when he's out there guarding guards and and even you know playing the passing lanes, it's fantastic. I, I like I liked watching him when he was in Phoenix last year. Uh, admittedly, I haven't seen him enough in Memphis this year, uh, just because you know obviously it's hard to keep up. But just from his playing style and even what I saw you know, when he was coming in as somebody uh, as a rookie out of Arizona state, I think that that is something that you definitely need on a team is to have that glue guy. And I don't want to call him a glue guy. Cause a lot of people, uh, sorry, not Arizona state, uh, at USC got my PAC 12s mixed up. Um, that's something you need. You need a glue guy like that to be able to, and I know he comes off the the bench a lot here, but you need somebody to be able to make plays for you and especially in crunch time moments. And we saw that against Minnesota uh, and, he, and that was with Dylan Brooks on the floor, by the way um, that they complimented each other actually pretty well. I, I think that you can keep both. I do. Uh, but again, if Dylan gets some sort of ridiculous
0: offer sheet, then you got to think that twice to yourself. Um, what would be your ceiling for Dylan Brooks? This fascinates me because I'm, I'm on a, I do a radio hit. Uh, with Gary Parish in Memphis, Tennessee. And and I floated the number of three years, $36 million. And that sounded like a lot to me. Uh, but at the same time, I could see that as being a realistic number. You could argue that Dylan Brooks is one of the top free agents available. DeAnthony Melton's not going to get that level of attention, even though maybe he should uh, because of that glue guy status, as, as you use the term. Um, I think you could sign Melton to a $30 million contract over four years and he's yours. And Memphis has done a good job structuring deals with descending value. So you could pay Melton, you know, $8 million next year and then go down the list, the, the amount that you're allowed to legally uh, by the CBA when you construct a contract. And I think that gets him. I think that gets him. And I think that puts him in the system long-term. I don't know. $36 million for Dylan Brooks in three years. That seems, that seems like a lot to me. What would be your ceiling? Ooh,
1: you know, that 36 sounds about like where I would put it, man. That's tough. That's tough. Especially, especially when you look at in terms of consistency. Now this has, this has been somebody who's been loyal to the organization too. You got to take that into effect. You got to take in the hu- human side. You got to take into the, the teammate side, how much uh, the other guys like playing with them. That also goes into it. It's not like a game of 2K where you can just pop people in and out, make <laughs> right. trades left and right. You know, that's also a factor. Um, I think a secondary factor is that this is Taylor Jenkins' first year, so this might almost be an audition for Dylan Brooks and whether or not he fits what Taylor Jenkins is looking for. So uh, that's a tough one. Um, yeah, 36, three years, that's that's probably the capper. In, as you mentioned though, this is a very dry dry summer free agent class. So It is. There could be some overpaying. You never know. Um that man that's difficult. That is difficult to to look at. And when it comes to Melton too, by the way, somebody who's 21 years old and restricted free agent, I don't think that anyone's going to offer him the, you know, the sun. So uh, he's probably an easy, easy bet to come back for that team. Uh, and, and one, one note too, I wanted to make before uh, you got me out of here. I was at shoot around uh, bef- before I talked to Brandon Clark, and uh, Melton was out there working on his threes. And you just saw Jaron just jacking up, and I think he made like eight in a row. And D'Anthony looks over at him and goes, "We get it, Jaron. You can shoot." <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's funny. No, I I do like the camaraderie aspect of it. And that is really important, especially with a young team that's kind of rebuilding what it means to be a Memphis Grizzly. You know, the, the next generation of the Memphis Grizzlies has officially begun and what it means. It's not true grit and grind anymore, like with Zach and Mark and Tony and Mike you know, those guys are gone. They're establishing their own identity, building their own relationships, and I think that's a good example there. Spencer, thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it, and hopefully we'll have you back on down the road. Uh, Thanks, Joe. Appreciate you. Absolutely. When we come back, Parker Fleming will join me, and we will have DeAnthony Melton himself, the man we were just talking about, DeAnthony Melton of the Memphis Grizzlies, will be our guest next on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. Don't go anywhere. Welcome back to Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Mullinax. I am joined at this time by both my associate editor and co-host of Grizzly Bear Blues Live, uh, Parker Fleming, and our guest. Really excited to have him on the show, Mr. D'Anthony Melton of the Memphis Grizzlies. D'Anthony, thank you so much for taking some time to talk with us for this week's episode.
2: Man, thank you guys for having me on this, on this day. Thank you.
0: Absolutely. We're excited to have you on. And, and I'll just lead off really quick with asking about, you know, I, I noticed that you guys had off today, uh, at least officially from the Grizzlies, no necessarily any practice or that sort of thing. What's an off day like for you, especially after a big win like you guys had over Minnesota? Uh,
2: uh, off day for me Well, it's a day like today. Uh, it's actually my my little brother's birthday today so i got some family in town my mom and my little brothers out here so we're probably we got some stuff planned for them uh maybe take them around the city a little bit but other than that it's just you know video games movies and just playing with my dog honestly it's nothing nothing much um i enjoy i enjoy relaxing especially with it being a long season you got to make sure you get your time to relax and you know rest your body sometimes and all this traveling it could get to sometimes so I, you know i just try my best just to just unwind sometimes yes sir d'anthony what do you where do you see your fit with both the current roster and the long-term roster situation uh i mean whatever uh happens uh happens so i just try to go out there and just you know play my game and just have fun i'm i mean i'm really enjoying you know, what we got going on here and everything we put together. And you could just tell, you know, we're just – we're continuing to get better and we just continuing to fight and, you know, scrap out these, these wins, no matter if they're pretty, ugly, or it doesn't matter. We just, you know, continue to try to get more and more wins and just continue to push and get better. Yes, and uh, what's your ideal role? Like, what are – what's the role you envision yourself playing like, as you're going into your pride? Uh, the NBA is so positionless, so I, I don't think, I think for me, uh, roles don't, you know, roles are also important, but NBA, you can really play so many different positions, and having guys out there that can kind of do it, you know, do it all or do multiple parts of the uh, of the game and impact multiple parts of the game, I think that's, you know, super important because those guys are just, you know, you never know what you're going to get. You can get a lot of points, a lot of rebounds, or, you know, a lot of assists or steals and stuff like that. So um, I just try to go out there and, and impact the game however however I can and wherever my team needs it. Absolutely. And how cool is it to get praise and comparisons of Tony Allen, a Grizzlies legend who's made his mark on the defensive end? <laughs> it's huge. I mean, it's crazy because uh, I remember a couple years ago, I mean – I when I really want to you know really lock in on the defensive end I mean I watch I watch uh his highlights too him uh Avery Bradley uh Jimmy Butler guards that you know that really locked in on the defensive end and really got into players so uh like I said before I am take I take pride in it so you know I really want to study it and see how to uh how to guard certain guys and how other people guard certain players and stuff like that so I mean, it's huge, and it's it's
0: an honor, honestly. We're chatting with the Anthony Melton of the Memphis Grizzlies here as we wrap up an episode of Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I am your host, Joe Molinax, joined at the time, or this time, excuse me, by my associate editor and co-host here over at GBB, uh, Parker Fleming. The Anthony, I'm curious because the, the current topic of conversation among Grizzlies fans, and I wrote an article for the site yesterday about it, Uh, Telling people to kind of slow down with such a young team. You know, you're one of the youngest teams in the NBA. You're in playoff contention. Uh, I don't want to say by accident because that's not fair to you guys, but the bottom of the Western Conference playoff picture isn't the prettiest. Uh, But you guys find yourselves in a place where if you win on Friday night and things continue to break your way, you're going to be the eighth seed in the Western Conference. How much attention do you guys pay to that? And, and like, I understand that you focus one game at a time, that sort of stuff. But how aware are you going into any individual game? Okay, this game on Friday night against the Spurs, this is big for playoff positioning.
2: Like you said before, every game is. We feel like every game is big for us because uh, the ones these things that aren't big for you, next you know you might you might drop those games and come late in the season. You may you may look back and be like, okay, where did we go wrong? And it's just like those little games that we could drop, we could use later in the season. So we just try to take every game like it's a big game. And we try to go out there and, and win and compete and grind it out no matter what. But, I mean, recently they put up the uh, the, the Western Conference standings, you know, around the facility in our locker room, um, places like that in the weight room. So it's hard not to see it, but, you know, it's fun. It's fun to do that. It's fun to compete. Uh, everybody knows about the playoffs. We got guys that have been to the playoffs before, so they know the excitement and the, the joy in playing in the playoffs. So, It's tough not to know, but, you know, we're just going every game like it's a big game.
0: You've been fortunate enough in your young NBA career uh, to be in multiple places, work with different coaches and different players. I'm curious, what are some things that you've noticed that are different as you go from an NBA franchise like Phoenix to Memphis? Obviously, I'm not looking to dig up any dirt or anything like that, but you know, not many guys have your experience of multiple franchises so early in their careers. So what are some things that you see when you go from organization to organization within the NBA?
2: I mean, I was I, I was fortunate enough to uh, have two rookie coaches my uh, my first two years, so um, it's just a lot of learning. Um, you know, I'm learning, they're learning, and it's just a whole bunch of learning going on. You can tell uh, organizations, you know, they embrace that and they can uh, they try to help the coaches out and also try to help the players because the they've seen success and they know what success looks like, so they just try to you know make the blueprint for it. And it's just, it's on it's on us if we're going to follow it or not and we're going to, you know, stay to it. But in terms of, like, different organizations, it's, it's not much different, you know. Difference between, you know, the players and the people there, obviously. And, you know, that's what makes up an organization. So I think the difference is just, like, the people-wise, you know. You never know what you have. And once you have them, you just got to so go out and try to get it every night.
0: You've also been fortunate in your young career to, obviously, along with your specific set of skills, the way you play defense, the way that you're able to facilitate both on and off the ball, it's really fit well in Memphis. You've been around young talent that gets a lot of headlines, uh, like a Devin Booker, obviously now John Morant, Jaron Jackson Jr. Um, When you look at how these guys play compared to your skill set, how much of your own game do you take into account how you can fit alongside you know, the number two draft pick for the Grizzlies in the 2019 NBA draft. Do you take that into account or do you really just emphasize being your own best self and hoping that it fits with a guy like Ja? Uh,
2: I mean, Ja, Ja is so special that, you know, he plays the game the right way and he looks and, uh, for people and he's so explosive. So it's like, he's going to, he fits with people that, you know, knows how to play and he's, He's actually really, you know, communicative, and he'll tell you what he sees, and he helps you put, you know, put people in the right spot. So uh, he's just so special to to play alongside with. But in terms of my skill level, uh, I just go out there, and I just try to play the game the right way. And I just, you know, confidence. Uh, I see a lot of these players in the league is a lot. I see confidence. Be confident in yourself and what you worked on and stuff like that. So, I mean, I worked on my game a lot in the summer. even though my back injury cut it a little bit short, I still got to, you know, fine tune it and, and slow down and see where my game needs moving on. And I feel like, you know, it really helped me and just slowing down my game and seeing where, you know, I can get better on and my, my stress, my weaknesses in my game.
0: We're finishing up here with DeAnthony Melton of the Memphis Grizzlies on Grizzly Bear Blues Live. I'm your host, Joe Monax, joined by my co-host, Parker Fleming. DeAnthony, we'll get you out of here on this, and again, I appreciate your time on your day off. I'm really curious as to what your perception of Memphis is, because one of the reasons I still do what I do, because I I live in the Washington, D.C. area now. I lived in Memphis for a few years, a while back, and I still follow the team the way I do. I still follow the Grizzlies, of course, and I, I do the work that I do in large part because I fell in love with the city it's a really unique place. And I'm just curious as to your take on your time in Memphis so far, you know, you're starting to see the beginnings of that energy coming back to the Grizzlies. That's been gone for a couple of years during that in between time of the end of one era and the beginning of this next generation that they're building with you being a key part of that. I think, uh, what do you see in the city of Memphis that makes it so special?
2: I just see the the culture. I mean, they love, they love sports and they love, uh, especially they love basketball. So uh, just to give the city that, uh, especially, they like you said, they've been winning. They was winning, you know, recent years. So uh, just to give the city, you know, back some wins and just the livelihood and see the city come alive when, you know, we're going on runs and stuff like that. I mean, even when I first got here, uh, just talking with the people, you know, around the city, around the town and stuff like that, uh, when they found out I was with the Grizzlies, they was like, yeah, I mean, we don't really – care about too much as long as you guys go out go out there and compete and play hard and you know give it to, give it to you guys for all every night and so when I heard that from a couple of different people I was like okay I understand what Memphis is all about you know it's just all about just going out there and get it and use every night no matter who's out there and just know that when people see Memphis Grizzlies it's going to be a tough game for them.
0: The next generation sounds an awful lot like the last in a lot of different ways, and I think that's one of the ways and reasons that uh, the energy and the love is starting to pick up even more as the Grizzlies turn this thing around and start making a postseason push. DeAnthony, thank you so much for your time.
2: Yeah, thank you for having
0: me, too. Absolutely. For DeAnthony Melton, for Parker Fleming, my name is Joe Mullinax, Grind Forth Grizz Nation. This has been Grizzly Bear Blues Live.